tonight is, a, uh, is only a three-chapter book. This is the book or the letter to Titus. Um, but it is, it is packed with wonderful leadership principles. Goodness. Yes, it is. And so uh, we'll just uh, begin that. Now, we, now we, took, we split apart Titus in your book. He takes Titus and Philemon together, but we just split them apart so we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be rushed. It seems like we're always running out of time because uh, those of you that have hung in there over the past you know, several months, a year, uh, we have had some really good discussions in here and some good questions. So um, better to take our time than to be rushed in the Word of God. You just, you just never know what, what, uh, you know, what the Lord is, is revealing to us through His Word. So Amen. it's wonderful, wonderful time well spent. <clears throat> All right, so we'll just go ahead and dive into the background of the letter. Y'all with me? Everybody ready? Okay. Uh, Titus was a Gentile or Greek, and he was one of Paul's converts. So what does it mean to be one of Paul's converts? What does it mean to be a convert? Christian, okay, so you were, you were a Gentile or you were a pagan, a lot of different terms we use for that. And you were, uh, Paul would probably say, if you wanted to use a, a, kind of how he talked to the Galatians, you were enslaved to those elemental, elementary or those elemental um, worldly spirits. And then the gospel came, the truth of the gospel came, and the power of God unto salvation through Christ came and freed you from that and gave you the truth. You believed the truth and you became converted to Christianity. Okay, that's, that's what that means. So, yeah. so Titus was one of his converts, meaning that... Um, that, that Paul had met him before he was a Christian and he came to believe in Christianity through Paul's ministry. Uh, and, that's, and Timothy was the same way. And that's why sometimes you will hear him refer to them as his son or child in the faith. Uh, they, they were not biologically related, but they were spiritually related. And of course, as we know, that carries over into the nomenclature of the church today. It's kind of like what I, you know, like, I told, like I've told you all many times, I mean, most of my immediate family is deceased other than my two adopted siblings. And so my family is you. As scary as I'm sure that makes you, as frightened as that makes you, uh, you know, you are the only family that me and Angie have other than her mother that's still alive and married to Jimmy. So, And in fact, you could argue that our faith family is thicker than blood. Yeah. And the reason that's true is because Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Mm-hmm. And who did he use in that, that example? That he was going to divide uh, son and father, right? Families. Families, and, and he doesn't say he's really, he's actually going to make you try to hate your family. What he's trying to say is, is your love for Jesus is going to be so profound um, and, and so important and prominent in your life that, it's, that if your family's not on board, they're not going to be on board with you, and there might be division there. So taking on our faith family takes on extreme importance. Yeah, that's right. So the epistle, this, this letter of Titus was written about the same time as First Timothy, uh, Titus had proved to be a loyal co-worker with Paul, and he had become very close to Paul. Any of you out there that have been in the workforce for a while, uh, is there like a, or when you think of the history of you being out there at your job or whatever, is there someone that comes to mind when you think about somebody that was a, a dependable, trustworthy, loyal co-worker or boss? Does, does somebody come to mind? Okay, well, that's kind of how, that, that's how Paul thought of Titus was that Titus was a kind of a long-time, faithful, gospel partner. Uh, he uses that terminology, too, many times, as the, the, a partner in the gospel. Uh, so he was a loyal co-worker with Paul. And I tell you what, um, loyalty uh, is, is so important. Uh, I am really training up, trying to train my kids uh, to, to be loyal to, to whoever the authority is in their life. I mean, obviously, me as their father, most of all, God and then to their employers and so forth. It's just very important because we live in a culture where it, it, that, that is all but gone. Yeah. Um, it, it is all about what we feel like doing and not what we're supposed to be doing. And so it's, uh, it's just a lot to be said for that, that word loyal. Yeah. If you look up Galatians chapter 2, we can do that right quick. I've got just, it. You got it? Okay. Yep. If you want to go there in your Bible, just uh, put, your, um, put your ribbon that I, I try to get you to use so much right there on, on uh, <laughs> Titus. And just flip over to Galatians, and yeah, uh, you've got a call to go ahead, man. Yeah, Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not uh, running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced 
to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, which is some good information on Titus mm-hmm. there. Yep. So that's, that's that passage where he gives you the cross-reference, just to give you a little bit more familiarity with when, when Paul talks about loyalty, uh, that's a good cross-reference for that. Also, uh, he was with Paul and Barnabas, Dr. Stringfellow says, at the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15. Now, the, the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15, that's understanding that, you're, 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 you'll be going a little bit deeper into the narrative of the scripture and understanding the great divide or the great um, difficulty between Jewish believers and Gentile believers because the Jews had begun to, some of the Jews had begun to try to force something on the Gentile believers, who knows what that was, to force something on them, to come into Christianity. Circumcision and adherence to the law, okay, which Paul says that's not true because that is technically a work, okay, that is a work and salvation is by what? Faith and faith alone. So it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if you, if you try to adhere to the law or not. It's all about belief in Jesus Christ and faith in him and that righteousness that was put upon, that righteousness that was made available to us through his death on the cross is then infused to us, just for lack of a better term, uh, when we come to faith and belief in Jesus Christ, okay? So, so, um, so he was there at the Jerusalem Council, and, and what, what came out of the Jerusalem Council was, was salvation was by faith alone, and then they gave them some simple instructions to, to carry with them on their second missionary journey where they asked the Gentiles to, to behave in certain ways that would not be offensive to the Jewish people. Uh, and that was very helpful because what, are they, what do we all want in our churches? We want peace and what? Unity, exactly. And so, I mean, just imagine if somebody came in here from a completely different cultural background, just completely different than like American Judeo-Christian. I mean, it would be, I mean, I mean we could probably manage, but there would be some difficult you know, give and take there. Uh, it, it just would be. And so uh, that's why he, he, uh, he made that so clear and why they it, had that council it was almost, to sort all those issues out. It'd almost be like the Jerusalem council's almost like if we had only had the Old Testament yeah. and we had been reading the Old Testament <clears throat> and we had been faithful, faithful believers and followers of God in this church. And all of a sudden, you know, here comes Shelby, right? And uh, Proxy Paul, right? Here comes <laughs> Shelby and he has... The New Testament, oh, you know, and he brings it in and he says, this is also from the Lord. This is, this is the continuation and the fulfillment of God's plan. And we would be very like, whoa, like, okay, that's big news. We need to process that, think about that. And we would take that very seriously. That's kind of essentially what was taking place at the Jerusalem Council. You had the Judaizers, you had the Jews, uh, the staunch Jews who were saying, no, this is how it should be done. There was argumentation going on in the church. And so they were like, we're going to settle it right here, right now. What do we do with these Gentiles? Um, They're coming and they're saying they're a part of this new movement in Christ. And are they included? Are they not? That kind of thing. And so they, they hashed all of that out there. So, yep. Very good. And then they they gave you some other references uh, there in your book. Um, at the time of this epistle, Titus was on the island of Crete. Okay, the Cretans were kin to the Philistines, and they had a reputation of being what? Not, not a good reputation, right? Not at all. Liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. How would you like to spend some time with the Cretans? I mean, that, 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 I mean, you I mean know, it just sounds wrong. It, it just does. I, I, just, I just hope that nobody looks at Americans like liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. I hope that nobody Ooh. looks at us that way. Absolutely. Well, he actually, Paul says. I think it is, yeah. Today, yeah. you mean today in today's time? I mean, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it still is. Right. Ver, verse 12 of chapter 1, it says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always uh, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And I believe that, it doesn't say it here particularly, particularly in the text, but I think they used that word, their, their ethnicity, as a name for a negative connotation. Yeah. So I think you're right, for sure. Yeah, and, and, just, and I don't mean to just belabor this point as I do many things, but because it's so ingrained in our, in our culture uh, the idea of judge not lest ye be judged. What is, what is Paul doing in, in chapter one of Titus? <laughs> judging big time. Yeah. I mean, judging big time based on what he knows and, what, and the testimony that went forth of the Cretans. So this idea, this idea of not judging is, is a little, is, is nuts. 
I mean, I, I really don't understand um, how, how that, it's, it's hypocritical, harsh judgment is what Jesus taught against. Because as we know, any of you that, are, that have been in a supervisory capacity, that have been in law enforcement, that have been, I, I mean, anything, a parent, I, I mean, there absolutely has to be judgment. You have to make judgments on a daily basis, you could go so far as to argue hourly basis or minute-to-minute basis. So Satan has really done a number on our culture in America by, by, by getting this systematic... I mean, I mean you, you can even be around some people who claim to be faithful Christians who will say that from time to time. Well, we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge. But here we have right here in Titus chapter 1, we see them judging the Cretans. So Titus was to do what? Strengthen the work in the church which had been established there. Okay? And just so you know, that is exactly what we are doing, what Clayton is doing, what your deacons are trying to do, your committee leaders, your teachers, all of us together in the leadership of this church, we are all trying to do that very thing. We are trying to take the foundation that was started here at Parkway and we are trying to build upon it and make it better and stronger and faster. Kind of like the $6 million man, right? Better, stronger, faster. Y'all are not laughing. Did none of y'all see the $6 million man? Steve Austin, Austin, right. Okay, all right. So you know what's interesting about this too? Crete was like a very uh, well-known port city Mm -hmm. for, uh, well, and it was an island, but for trade and all of that and So, I mean, they were strategic. Paul was strategic in these cities that he kind of pinpointed and said, we need to be there and we need to to be planting churches there because this is a hot spot uh, culturally for uh, a lot of exchange, a lot of cultures coming through here. A lot of people can pick up the gospel here Mm -hmm. if we plant churches here. So being strategic is not wrong. It's just how we go about it. It ought to be in a godly manner. Yeah, and another follow-up to that comment is that, I mean, where should we be taking the gospel? And we should be taking the gospel to people that are far from where? Far from who? God, exactly. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily always go somewhere that's safe. I mean, if you're going to take the gospel somewhere, you need to take the gospel somewhere risky where people need to hear the gospel that are far from God. Yeah. And most of the time, those folks are far from any form of Judeo-Christian morality. Uh, so it's it, being a Christian should should be as we see in the, in the letters of the New, uh, letters of the New Testament. It should be a risky business to a to a certain degree. Well, we don't have to go far anymore, right? I know. It's yeah. starting to God has brought it to us. The culture. God here, has brought so. it to us. Yeah. All right. So he, he gives you here. He gives you some like overarching like themes in the letters. In First and Second Timothy, Paul stresses doctrine. Okay. In Titus, he stresses duty. So the doctrine of the first two is to be, and I love the way he says this, is to be adorned by doing it in Titus. So we learn the theology, we learn the teachings of the scripture, and and many would call that the orthodoxy, and then we take the orthodoxy and we turn it into an orthopraxy. So we take what we've learned and then we put it into practice. And 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 that that goes with with anything that you do. I mean, if you're a teacher, if, you're, if you work at a, if you manage a, a, a co-op, if you're an accountant, no matter what you are, there is, you, you learn how to do it, and then you take what you learn, and what do you do? You apply it and you do it. It's the same thing with, with Christianity. That's why studying the Bible and then applying the Bible are so important, because you can't really do one without the other. Okay, you got to have both. He is last mentioned by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 where Paul indicates that he has sent Titus to Dalmatia, which is modern-day Yugoslavia, okay? So he's an important guy. Titus is an important guy. He's got a letter in the New Testament named after him. So the central message, what is it, Colton? What's the central message? It is be careful to maintain good works. Pretty simple. Now, you know, I was telling Shelby earlier, one that I want to add on to that, a verse that I think might even be a little more, uh, it puts a little more, more verbiage around the central message. It's um, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. And uh, I think he just says it a little more elaborately here in these verses, starting with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, he's going to say something about that salvation. There's something we should do with that salvation, kind of like what Shelby was just saying. Training us, or something the salvation does with us, actually, I should say it that way, training us to renounce ungodliness 
and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I love the fact that he says here, your salvation, and, and I really I think what he means here, because he says this later, the Holy Spirit infused in you, dwelling in you, um, is transforming you, you partnering and walking in the Holy Spirit. You know, we get this from Galatians chapter 5, that we walk in the Spirit and not by the flesh. This salvation is training us to renounce, to say no, to repent of the ungodliness, uh, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, which is totally different than what we're even beginning to see in our own culture today. I mean, all of the rioting that we saw uh, in 2020 is just a proof, uh, visually just a proof of just unbridled uh, animosity and violence and just uh, just an unleashing of the flesh completely. Brendan, what were you going to say, brother? Absolutely. Ungodly practice leads to wickedness. Yeah. Which ultimately leads to, you know, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And I tell people all the time, that's not just, that's not just physical death and spiritual death. Certainly it leads to that. But it's also just death emotionally. It, it brings about wreckage in your life. Um, you know, the death of a marriage, the death of a, you know, you just put whatever there. Uh, sin is going to, you're going to reap these rewards from sin, which ultimately leads to death. Yeah, when you were talking, it, it reminded me, talking about the, the riots and stuff, it, it made me think about a passage that I think um, describes that perfectly uh, from Hebrews twelve fifteen. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many, come, many become defiled. Yeah. Just yeah. imagine that on a grand scale, and you've kind of got a riot. You yeah, know? So, absolutely. Yeah. All right, the structure of the book, I'm going to get all that out for you, is to put things in order, to put things in order, then to adorn the doctrine, and then to maintain good work. So we want to establish it. We want to establish it well and have good order. And then once we have that good order functioning, we should see the, the doctrine that is in that order kind of come, become manifest and then once it becomes manifest in the adornment of the doctrine, then we want to maintain the good works that grow from the theology. Okay, that's, that's the whole thing. So if you, if, I mean, I, I, it used to just freak me totally out when I, when I would hear believers say, you know, we're studying the Bible too much. And I'd tell them, I, I would just want to, I, I just would be scratching my head and I'm like, no, but that, that's where we get it all from. We get it all from the scripture. If you don't study the scripture and you don't know the scripture, then you've just got, you've, you've got a misdirected zeal without knowledge. I mean, that's all you have, which is exactly what Paul had, which is why he persecuted the church without realizing what he was doing. So you can't have that. You, you've, you've got to study, you've got to apply the knowledge, and you've got to maintain, you've got to maintain it. Yeah, and you know, we had a really interesting conversation today about, you know, just sitting and collecting knowledge you know what I mean, too? There's a reverse of that as well, I sure. think, where you just sit. And where it's just, just kinda, all head knowledge and not applied. Yeah, and you don't, you don't pour, you never pour back out or you never, um, or it's just head knowledge and you don't actually have a walk, a vibrant love and walk with Christ. I think there's a real deal where you can, ha you can know a lot. Like, theologically, in a theological debate, you could pummel anybody and destroy them and leave them broken in the street and just walk away laughing. You can be that person, but that's totally unchristlike, isn't it? Um, there you've proven yourself that you, you know a lot about the Bible, but you know nothing about God. <laughs> and so see, there's a dissonance, that, there's a disconnect there between um, heart knowledge and head knowledge, right? We want to marry those together. Yeah, and that's the harsh knowledge that Christ, that Christ condemned. Right, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so to put things in order, let's look at that. Look at this on out here for us, this first, these first few things in chapter one. So here, here's one that we could spend all night talking about, Okay. The New Testament teaches that each church was to be autonomous. So what does that mean? It means nobody tells us what. Exactly. <laughs> it means nobody tells us what to do. There, there, is no, there is no external religious authority that comes in 
and tells us what to do as an autonomous, self-governing church. That's what that means. Now, now we should, out of humble submission, though, invite what? At any time. Orthodox correction, right? I mean, mean, we should always be open to receive someone that comes and says, hey, you're you're doing this wrong, this has got to be fixed. But the New Testament clearly shows that churches are to be autonomous. And that's, I think, the reason why I say you could spend all night talking about that is because autonomy can be taken too far. Yeah. Where, 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 where you're hard-hearted and where, you know, you're, you're doing something and, and you completely shut out the voices of, of other, you know, of other leaders that may have something valuable to tell you. Uh, you just, you can't be too rigorous with that. But that is, like, like in Southern Baptist Convention, we are a network, a convention of voluntary churches that are cooperating together. Technically, you're, and I don't know if you know this or not, because it's, it's taken some time for me to hear it time and time again. Technically, we're not a denomination. Technically. Technically, we are a network of cooperating churches, is what we are, that are bound together by, by, a, uh, by a statement of faith, the Baptist faith and message. That's what we are. Denomination would be Methodists. Methodists have bishops. The bishops tell the churches what to do. Uh, the Presbyterian church has, has uh, sessions, and the sessions kind of direct the churches. But, but with us... We are an independent Southern Baptist church that cooperates with other Baptist churches. That's what we are. Yeah. Any follow-up? No. I mean, I think I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, that's... Well, it was, I mean, I've just heard, I've heard, you know, leaders say it a lot, and I I was just like, it just kind of catches me off guard, but we're technically, I mean, we are a denomination, I think, for three days Mm -hmm. when the convention meets. Right. Technically, then we're a denomination because we're all together under one roof making decisions corporately as as a group. Right. But right. when that's over, we go back to being separate, um, independent churches. And, and even then, you're still, the groups get to kind of have the say by their vote and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, but yeah, it's, and, and there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both ends. I mean, um, you know, to one degree, you might have more unity in a true denomination mm-hmm. uh, like the Methodists. But then also, I have seen the negative results of having to send letters and to change oh, anything. Yeah. And, you know, it could be a year before you actually get to doing what you were hoping to do, this opportunity that God was opening the door to. <laughs> so, right. whereas for us, we can look, we can see something in the community and we can say, we need to tackle that right now. Like the Scott right. Ford thing. It was like, right. we need to get after that right now. And we Without getting it. permission from anybody. Right, right. right. absolutely. Right. Isn't, that, isn't that the exact design of the United States of America? United States what? Of America. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tony. A democracy, yeah. I think functionally, yes. <laughs> functionally, you could say that. Sure, sure, yeah. It, yeah. I think functionally, you could say that. Yes. I mean, because technically, uh, a church on major issues. Uh, here, here's what scares me about about how when we say democratic processes. Okay, I don't believe as a as a pastor of a Baptist church that we that we should ever vote on being obedient to Scripture. Okay, you know what I mean. But but I'm just saying though that if that in a democratic process you could have a majority that rises up that says we're not doing what the scripture says and we're going to vote on it. And I say we that's why we got the Baptist faith the message. We are doing exactly what the Bible says, and you ain't got to say in that <laughs> because we're doing what the Bible says. You and follow that's when we split. <laughs> right. we're like, and that's why we, we follow yeah. the Bible. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. All right, let's keep going. So in the first days of the early church, there was the authority of the apostles in control. Who was the last one that died? The last apostle that died, as far as we know? John. Where was he when he died? Alan of Patmos, that's right. Uh, tradition holds that Peter was crucified upside down <clears throat> by Nero. We, we don't know that for sure, uh, but that, that's what tradition holds. Uh, this is still the authority is written in the epistles of the New Testament, and they teach the principle that each local church is self-governed by a simple plan. Okay? All right, here Titus was to set things in order in Crete. Set them in order. That's a good word. Do y'all like that word, order? How many military people do we have in here? Was the military pretty orderly for the most part? Okay. Yeah. So, so I, that's what I love about the military is that it's, it's rank and file and it's ordered. So the church should be better ordered than the military, but many times it's not ordered at all. Many times it's chaotic and disorganized, yeah. but it's supposed to be ordered yeah. really and I, well. And I love that he talks about in here, I think he says later, a simple order. Yeah. It's not some crazy, <laughs> you know, bush of a thing, you know, that grows out with many heads. It's like, 
it's simple, right? And yet it's, I mean, we don't serve a God of chaos. We serve a God of order. And if you look back when God is giving the instructions how to build the tabernacle, and you read through that again, you're reminded, man, this God is a God of perfection and order. And, and to the very uh, precise uh, measurement, God is a very orderly God. Um, and so it's, it's, it's I, I praise God that we, I mean, I mean, you look at the seasons, how the seasons change, right? We, we serve a God of order. I mean, that's one of the great yeah. arguments, uh, apologetic arguments that we make for the faith. We don't live in a world that's falling all apart all the time. Even in its fallen state, it still functions per- right. perfectly. Right, and it's yeah. like all of this, all the, the, the process of the caterpillar turning into a butterfly, there's order there. You know, that doesn't, and, and how, how they know how to do that. The birds, that birds, okay, turtles, let's take that. Turtles that lay their eggs in the sand, they leave, right? And then these babies can hatch crawl out into the ocean and know how to find where they need to go. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, we live in an amazing world that speaks God's orderly design all the time. And God is asking his church to be an ordered church. You see that in 1 Corinthians yeah. 14 as well. And, and when we don't do that well, when we're not unified, when we're not ordered well, then we, we testify to the outside world that something's wrong in here. Yeah. And no, I think no so it tarnishes his glory. Yeah. No, no doubt. Well, speaking in order, the next thing he talks about, one of the first things he talks about is is leadership. So there was to be the appointment of elders, and they were wanting because they had not been appointed. So there were no elders, so so Paul had to appoint elders. So Titus was was to correct this and to ordain elders in every city. If you have your Bible there, I believe it says that in uh, verse 5. That's why I left you in Crete, so that you might put, uh, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed to you, okay? Elders were to be overseers by the direction of the Holy Spirit. It gives you Acts chapter 20 as a citation for that. And they were local pastors who were to feed the flock. And just so you know, all of these terms, I think we've talked about this before. I, I know I, this is just kind of like pull a string in my neck and it comes out like G.I. Joe, you know. But, but all these terms, pastor, bishop, elder, all these leadership the terms in the scripture are all used interchangeably. It basically yeah. means somebody who is able to teach and defend the faith and oversee the church in a healthy way and apply the scriptures, you know, to, to the church. So, so don't get all caught up in the... In the in, you know, what each word means. He gives you some, some delineation here, but uh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, I mean you, you know who the pastors are and, and, what, and what we do. So as we taught in 1 Timothy 3, elder and bishop designate the same office. Elder is the word applied to the person, and bishop is applied to the function of the office, and that's fine. All right, Paul names, how many qualifications? 14 qualifications. So if you have a committee, and that's one of the reasons why I entertained talking to you as a church when David Fleming and I and the committee first began talking, was because your job posting uh, actually had scripture in it. And yes, I judged job postings. I judged them. Did you hear that? I judged job postings. Uh, Second Samuel 7. Ba- <laughs> oh, wait. We're sorry. Wrong. Ba- based upon whether or not... <laughs> whether or not it had scripture listed in the job posting. Because if it didn't have scripture listed in the job posting, what had the committee not even thought about? The scripture. (laughs) Because because of, of all things that a church needs to have listed in their job description is you need to fulfill the biblical qualifications of 1 Timothy, 1 Peter, and Titus. If all of it was about dynamic speaker and young and education and all that, I passed right over it. Because they're it's looking, gotta be funny. They're, they're looking for an entertainer that's yeah. gonna come in here and perform, and that's not what I do. I don't, I'm terrible at that. Would y'all amen that? I'm terrible at that. <laughs> You're better than you think. I, I preach and te- I mean, I teach the Bible. That's, that's what I do. I, I mean, and, and, I, and I, I have a healthy marriage and I have children, and my whole life revolves around the scripture and my family. I'm not perfect at it. But I mean, that's, 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 that's what I do. So here are these 14 qualifications. You take the yeah. first one away. Colton, yeah. start reading them, and we'll talk about them a little bit. So uh, the very first one is blameless. And in the ESV, it says it this way. And uh, let me find the verse where it says it. If anyone is above reproach. So there's that as well. 
And if you want to know basically what that means, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a really broad, it's a very broad overarching definition. But I, I've heard some say that I have no court cases pending, <laughs> basically. Okay, there's no court cases pending against me. In, in other words, I'm not going to be working in my office and suddenly the FBI or federal marshals or county marshals or a bunch of sheriffs are going to pull up and say, hey, do you remember what you did five years ago? It's caught up to you, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. I'm not doing bad dog fights in my backyard. Right, because, yeah. it, because it can't be persecution, gospel persecution, because if it's gospel persecution, the very one writing this wouldn't be qualified, right? Right. Because Paul did, plenty of God, Paul did plenty of gospel persecution before he got saved. So that yeah. can't be what it means. And so. I think, too, to your point, I think this also means, uh, because, yeah, can there be interesting things in our past? I mean, we were, we were lost in our sin in the past. I mean, we had no uh, compass, spiritual compass to guide us. So, I mean, we fell into all kinds of debauchery and crazy evil. Um, so does this mean uh, the man of God who is being called to a church, an elder, uh, that if he has a stain in his past, that he is also disqualified? No, I don't think so. If he has, if he has walked many years proving his character, that he has been redeemed in Christ, that he is truly uh, Christ. I mean, for goodness sakes, the, the example you just used about Paul, I mean, he was murdering Christians. Mm. <laughs> he became a pastor of the church. Uh, so I think when we talk about blameless here, he's talking about they have an active, vibrant walk with Christ mm-hmm. uh, that no one can look at and accuse. Think about Daniel. You know, when Daniel, when the, when the men were trying to accuse him of something, they're like, man, we can't find anything on this guy because he was a holy man after God. Yeah. So. Sure. Yeah. Most oh, definitely. absolutely. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Yes. Yeah, and, it, and it, one other thing I'll throw in there. The other thing too that that I, that I think because it, just like he just said, I mean, I mean, you can't be held responsible for what happened prior to your conversion for your whole life, right? I mean, that's, that's, that that just doesn't fit the scripture. But from the moment you're saved forward, if if you continue to leave a life to lead a life of destruction and lies and all this kind of stuff, eventually, what's going to happen to all that to all that junk? It's going to catch up to you, okay? And then, so that's, that's, that's what, kind of what he's talking about. So for, for someone who's a believer that wants to be a leader in the church, he needs to be somebody that, because we're all going to make mistakes and do things that make people mad. Can you amen that? Okay. Inadvertently, we're going to do that. Is he the type that blows it off and just runs away from it? Or is he the type that faces it, admits when he's wrong, and seeks reconciliation and forgiveness? And I would say the second one is what that means. Because, because I, I can tell you, I, I have run into to Christian leaders throughout my life, uh, men, pastors, who, who they, they go into a church and, and they, they enrage a bunch of people somehow and then they just cut and run to the next town and, and do the same thing over there and the same thing over there. Well, eventually, eventually not only is he going to answer to God for that, but he's going he's to answer to those folks that catch up to him eventually too. So it's got to be somebody that, that, that can stand up to what he has done wrong, confess it, deal with it, and then move on. Yeah. Okay? Go ahead. So uh, also the husband of one wife, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Oh, self-explanatory, sure. Um, marriage, is, how, how he treats his marriage is of the utmost importance. Amen. Of the utmost importance. And it's one of the probably one of the number one reasons why pastors in their pastorate. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Because of marriage trouble. Yes. Uh, have faithful children, control mm-hmm. over them. Um, you know, and, and that word control, I kind of want to nuance that a little bit. It's not a domineering control, right? You know, not like a... Not tyrannical. Yeah, not like in Star Wars, like the emperor, you know, shock. You know, it's not like that kind of control. You know, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's a loving... Time up, put them in handcuffs, <laughs> threaten them. You know? Right, right. It's a loving control. It's a loving firm hand uh, guiding them, which we all need. So that, that kind of control. Mm-hmm. Um, not self-willed. Uh, God's will must come first. Um, and, and I think um, my translation says, the ESV says arrogant. Uh, I think that's what he's uh, supplementing that with there. And I'll just say this, because this hit me when we were talking about the blameless one, but I was waiting for this one. <clears throat> um, I think you all may have had this experience before. I know I have, where you know, Clayton says all the time to us, you know, don't meet your heroes. And, you know, there's times where you see someone that you really love as a speaker, 
uh, as a pastor who's not particularly maybe the pastor in your church. You go to a conference or something, and then when you meet them, they are very arrogant. <laughs> they are, you can tell the way they lead their life and the fact that they're wearing you know, $200 jeans and you know, $500 pair of shoes. You're like, something about that just gets under my skin. And it's like, look, you don't have to have a hole in your shoe as a pastor, right? That's not what I'm saying. But you know, some new balances would, do, would look good on you as a pastor, right? Like some, some you know, Adidas would look nice on you as a pastor, not, you know, not Gucci or, you know, <laughs> Dolce Gabbana or whatever, you know, like something that actually, you know, speaks humility, um, you know, because I was at a pastor's conference one time, and I, one of the gentlemen that was up speaking, which, you know, I admired, um, and the, the other guy I was with, he was like, oh, man, he said, uh, I know what kind of jeans he has on, which I didn't. I was like, wow, you know what kind of jeans he has on? We need to talk later, you know, so, but, um, but he was like, I know, I, those jeans are super expensive jeans. Like, I know where he got those from, and, you know, I was just like, okay, you know, it's just, and it just, so pastors need to be humble is all I'm saying. Can you have an expensive pair of jeans? Sure, I guess. You know, but, um, but the whole deal there is to say we need to be humble men. Um, pastors do, elders do. Um, and hopefully when you meet an elder, when you meet a pastor, that's, that's the, the vibe. I hate using that word. Uh, but that's what you feel. The attitude coming from the pastor and the elders is humility and a willingness to submit to God's will. And you know when you talk to them, they, they're not all about themselves, right? Um, they're about Christ. And you can see it exuding from their very nature. For sure. Um, not soon angry, not quick-tempered. Um, that, that's, that's a tough huge. one. That's huge. That's a tough one. It is. No, it is. It really <laughs> is because, look, yeah. there are moments in the church. Look, oh my God. what do you do in your house sometimes with your family? You get a little red in the face, a, a vein starts pumping. What, what is that? <laughs> angry, right? You get a little angry with your family, you know, and you just, uh, uh, and you're ready to do something. And it's like, you know, it's like you say you're going to kill them, but you love them, and you're not really going to do that and go to jail. But... You know, in the house of God, it happens sometimes. We get angry with each other. We get frustrated. We say something to each other that's hurtful. And, you know, as pastors, um, be patient with your pastors. Sometimes, you know, we can, you know, a little pan fire can, can flare up every now and then. And, you know, we've got to ask God for forgiveness. Well, the, yeah, and the, the big thing here is probably when, when somebody's really mad at you and giving it to you really hard, yelling mm -hmm. and screaming at you and the spit's flying in your face, you know. <laughs> you get a shower. You've you got you to be able to stand there and take it and not give it back. Yeah. Because you have to provide the example of a Christian man. I mean, you just have to. I mean, I've had that happen yeah. to me multiple times in, oh, the, in yeah. the church. Have people just, just coming at me, trying to tear me apart, and I'm just sitting there <clears throat> listening to it, listening to it. Well, I see what you're saying. I just don't agree with what you're saying. I mean, I, yeah. I, that's not what happened. That's not the way I see it. You know, and then they storm away, but you just, you have to because you have to maintain uh, that example. Yeah, so. and you don't, because you don't want to hurt a sheep, and, and, and that doesn't mean you can't speak the truth, because I've had a particular right. moment like that as well, where the spit's flying, and it's like, you know, I could get the, you know, head and shoulders out and start doing a shower, you know, but, um, you know, you, you, you got to maintain control and poise and, 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 and love that person, but that doesn't, love doesn't mean you tell them what they want to hear in that moment, you tell them what they need to hear in that moment, um, so it's kind plus, of a balance. Plus, if the pastor loses his cool, and he if that person goes off, like if you're in an argument, when that person runs off, what is that person going to go do? Tell everybody they know what happened. And the pastor can't go do the same thing. Because if he goes to do the same thing, then you've got a massive split that's fixing to happen in the church. Because the pastor's going to have people to side with him, mm -hmm. and that person's going to have people to side with them. And then you've got a massive problem. So the pastor always, your, your elder, your pastor always has to maintain a mediator a mediator view, a mediator position. I mean, unless it is just so blatantly clear, uh, you know, that, that you have to tackle it like, like Paul did mm -hmm. with Peter yeah. immediately in front of the whole crowd, you know, and that. So we got a jet. So we did, keep we going. Did. Okay, so uh, not given to wine, not a drunkard. That's pretty self-explanatory. Self no striker, not violent, uh, not given to filthy uh, liqueur, or um, must and must not be materialistic. Right. A lover of hospitality. I love that one. Mm -hmm. A lover of good men. Uh, sober, just, uh, holy, set apart, uh, unpolluted. I love that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, temperate, uh, which we've talked about, having mm -hmm. self-control and not flying yep. off the handle. So. Yeah, good yeah. ones. All right. Uh, putting things in order, we'll just keep on going there. Then Paul spells out the duties of these leaders, verses 9 through 16. Let's read those. Is that chapter 1? Yeah, let's just read those. 
He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many, listen very carefully to this, okay? For there are many who are insubordinate. Insubordinate. And he says there are many who are insubordinate. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for what? Any good work. So, wow. Paul doing some judging there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love when he says, 15, to, uh, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled uh, and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Yep. So, just to speed on down through this, the lesson at the very bottom, it takes good spiritual leadership to develop what? Good spiritual leadership. Yeah. You've got to have one to have the other. Okay? Sound doctrine included the teaching of all ages. I love this chapter. When you, hear, when you hear me from time to time talk about how we've got to get away from, from all this age-graded stuff, the old people go over here and the younger people go over here and all that, we, we have got to blend. We've got to blend our, 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 our teaching classes. I don't know how you do that. I've never been able to pull it off without upsetting a whole bunch of people. So we hadn't done it here yet. We talk about it all the time. But, but the Word of God right here is the testimony to the reality that this needs to be done. Let's just read it, and we'll, we'll keep on going through here. Chapter 2, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the who? Okay, so get this. If the older women are training younger women, who are the older men training? Younger men, exactly. It's not listed in there explicitly, but if the younger, men, younger women are getting trained by the older women, there's not but one group left, and that's the younger men, and where are they? With the older men, okay. Yep. So to be self-controlled, they teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Did y'all hear that? To be self-controlled, pure. Here's one that would get a, 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 a viral social media post. Working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That would be a good social media post too. Yep. That the word of God may not be reviled. Mm-hmm. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. That means stealing minute, worthless things, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn, there's that word again, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Man, that, that right there, that is one of the most powerful chapters, I would argue, in the whole New Testament. And as countercultural as it comes. Amen. As countercultural as it comes. And, and I love he's saying to dress, you know, that word adorn, to dress the, the gospel beautiful through your actions. Our yep. actions are saying something about this gospel we believe in, the way we talk to people, the way we serve people, uh, you know, the, the way we talk in this church to one another. That all says something about this gospel we believe in. Because you cannot, can, you cannot disconnect belief from action. You can't, you can't have one without the other. Uh, because beliefs directly affect actions. Yep. And so that's, that's something that I think we all have to latch onto and understand. That what you truly believe, now hear me say that, not just what you say you believe, and I put you know, parentheses around it because I mean, I'm not saying you don't believe it, I'm just saying you know, uh, it's some people, they say they believe this, 
but then they prove themselves wrong later, right? And so we want to say uh, by our words and our actions that we believe this truly, that it has sunk down deep into our hearts and it's causing our hands, it, it's been processed in our heads, it's seeped down into our hearts, affected the love vein, and then we, we do with our hands. It, it, it uh, outgrows into our hands and we mm-hmm. serve and we, we act and we speak the gospel. Excellent. And then here's uh, Colton's favorite part. Uh, we are to adorn the doctrine, I'll read it for us, for the grace of God has appeared. This is chapter two, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's powerful, powerful stuff. All right, and then verse 15, he wants us to memorize. But then the very next verse, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with what? All authority. Let no one disregard you. Now I want you to, I don't mean to belabor this, okay? But in our minds, judge not lest you be judged is systematic. The culture has systematized that in our belief system. We've heard it so much. But the Bible says something totally different. What does it say? Declare these things, exhort and rebuke. Judge. (laughs) Because in order to exhort and rebuke, what do you have to do? You have to make judgments or else you can't do that. To bring correction, there's got to be a right and there's got to be a wrong. In order to do that, you've got to judge. Now, again, Christ said, don't judge harshly because by the measure you use, you shall be judged. So when you judge, you do so mercifully and patiently and lovingly. But we're supposed to judge. Y'all hear that out there? <laughs> and why And why do they have a problem with judging? Why does any, it's, it's tucked into this verse. The word is in this verse. Why do they have a problem with it? What's, the, what's I think, truly the heart of the problem? Yes. Who, who said it? Nathan. Authori- Thank you, Nathan. There it is. Authority. Authority, yes. And again, we can bring up the riots again, right? We, we don't like to have an authority over our head. We don't like to be submissive. Uh, we, don't, we, we like to be the Lord of our own life. You know, I like to be King Colton sitting on my throne, and my subjects do what I tell them yep. to do, right? I mean, and, and you, we don't think about it that way. But when you demand, when you have raging demands on your heart and you are willing to sin when you don't get them or to sin to get them, then basically what you're saying is I'm sitting on my throne and Jesus, there's no room for you here. And, it's, and, and we've got to repent of that and, and get off of the throne, let go of our pride, die to ourselves and, and say, Christ, you take the throne and you are my master and Lord and anything you say to do or to go or to be, I'll do it for your glory. And so I think authority is a major issue. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the, like one of the simplest fruits of that, I, I would just, because I mean, I, I've, heard, I've heard preachers say that through the years, and I, one, of the, one of the simplest proofs that you're doing that is consistently being involved in the church, yes. his church, Absolutely. consistently submitting yourself to the word of God, no matter whether you like it, whether it's enjoyable yeah. to you, yes. whether you like the book they're in, mm. whether you like the theology they're Amen. preaching, as long as it's sound theology, yeah. and, 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 and giving, no matter whether you want to or not, but, but, but submitting yourself to the authority of the church, the authority of the word, singing the hymns, whether you yeah. know them, don't know them, coming into the worship assembly and allowing yourself to be, to be put under the submission of God. Yep. And, full, and, full submission to God. Yep. And since you're preaching, I'm just, we're, we're just going back and forth here. It's like lightning strike, and I love this. It's, you know, and, and I think the reason that that has changed, because in the past, you, you were going to have to walk. I'm talking about farther in the past. You were going to have to walk hundreds of miles if you were going to go to another church, right? Because you lived in a town, there was one church, and that's the church you went to, right? That was it. You didn't get, a choo- you didn't get to pick and choose which pastor you were going to sit under. And, and I love what, what Shelby's saying is because in our culture today, now it's country club Christianity, and you get to kind of pick and choose what you want and mix and match, kind of like we do with our fashion or our food and that kind of stuff. You go through the buffet line. You, you, I mean, they couldn't do that back in the day. And when you have a solid, grounded, biblical preacher 
who loves God, who wants to teach the word, who wants to exhort the people, maybe rebuke the people sometimes to be rebuked himself by the word, that's a man you can follow. I don't care if he's super entertaining. I don't care if he's loud all the time or quiet all the time. If he's teaching the word and he loves God, then that's a man you can follow and you should. Absolutely. And sometimes those dudes, and look, I'm just telling you this. That's why I'm spending a minute on this because how many times have we seen the Mark Driscolls, the guy at... um, What's the big uh, uh, church that's, uh, Hill, not Hillsong, is it Hillsong? Um, one of those guys uh, is over, was over a church in New York. Uh, he was caught in like adultery or something yeah. like that. Mark Driscoll uh, was caught being abusive with his authority. Yeah. The, these, these mega churches and we get drawn to these personalities and then it becomes them building up their kingdom. Look, I think it's high time that we do away with that image. And we, and we replace it. And I think you guys do that. And I love that you do that. You, you are, because I've had so many conversations, so Shelby, with you guys about genuinely wanting to seek Christ through the word. And that makes me excited because that's what we're supposed to be about. Not about some guy right. that is that that looks good, wears skinny jeans, and you know can preach a, a really fun sermon. Or like, comes in on a zip line into the pulpit. Right, right. Right, right. Well, and, by, and through faith, right? I mean, through faith is when we receive Christ, and then, and then the, 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 the that's it. That's it. That's right. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's move on here. So we are to obey the laws of the land and be ready for every good work. This is chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And remember, during this time, I always have to point this out, because everybody thinks that we're a whole lot more oppressed here okay, than anybody else on earth. But during this time, who was the ruling authority in Titus's life? The Roman Empire. And what were they actively doing? Persecuting Christians. Okay? Not just telling us we can't talk about politics. They were actively persecuting, jailing Christians. So, so, and, and, and remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. That, that is, that is that's, that's unbelievable that that's in there, but it is. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy. Did you hear that? To show perfect courtesy toward who? Say that louder. All people. Perfect courtesy to all people. That's why Westboro Baptist Church showing up to the funerals of, of homosexual military people with signs that says God hates fags is wrong. Amen. That is wrong. Jesus would have never done that. And that's not, that is in complete disobedience to what this says. Yeah. Okay, complete disobedience. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies. Who remembers the Da Vinci Code? That was a foolish controversy. Christians should have never become that entangled in that. Do we need to know about it? Sure, but not, not, not... not get engrossed in it and let that become your life-defining moment. Yeah. Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, this is one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, and you'll know why when I read it. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Does that sound judging? As for a person who stirs up division, if he's stirring up division, what is he doing? He's tearing up the unity of the church. 
And what does he say there to do with that person? To go and warn have him. lunch with him? Warn him. Well, I have warn him, but then what do we do with him after you've warned him? You have, go nothing, have, go have, have lunch nothing more to do with him. Oh, don't go have lunch with him. No, do not go have lunch don't with him. Don't invite him in your home. Don't invite him in your home. Don't, don't go on a walk with no. him. No. No. The only have thing. Have nothing more to do with him. And, and the only thing practically to tell you is if that is happening and someone is seeking you out continually, then you tell them, well, I'm going to stop you right there, brother or sister. I'm going to stop you right there, and I'm going to say, I warned you. And, and I, I'm not talking with you about anything else until you repent of that. Oh, man, And that's you stop strong. talking about that's that. strong, man. That, that's, does not, that does not fit into current no. American Christianity whatsoever. But that is so dangerous. Yes. You were inviting danger and, and poison into your home. And when you stop at the gate and you say, I, and this is a loving thing. You say, you're loving them. You're saying, look, there's a, huge, there's a huge issue going on right now. You need to get right with Christ. And, and, and you, you can change how you say it so it's a little more tactful. But you, but you need to communicate the urgency. You're not right with Christ right now. You're out of alignment. Uh, you're walking in a dangerous path. And I, I warn you, brother or sister, please turn, repent. And that's the only conversation we're having until you do. So, yeah, that's right. Final thing here of the letter is a lesson in practical Christian living. Its final injunction is maintain what, y'all? Good works. Are y'all in shock out there? Y'all okay? It's been a heavy Bible study, hadn't it? Titus is rough. All right, um, let's see here. Let's see. Did I? Okay, how much do you remember? Who was Titus charged to correct and minister to? Cretans, yep. Based on Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, a leader is chosen based on which? Character or ability to perform? Say that louder, please. Yes. Does everybody understand that? And you know what else? Just so you know, because you're the congregation and you're here on Wednesday night, therefore you really care about this place or you wouldn't be here. Minister evaluations is not done for minister performance. Minister evaluations is done by faithfulness. Is the man or woman being faithful to the call? Because according to the scripture, we don't have any control. We don't have any control over whether somebody responds or whether somebody grows in grace. Our job is to teach and to, to sow and to water. And that's it. And God is the one that gives the growth. So for us, it's about faithfulness. But too many times, too many times, a minister will be torn to pieces because they are giving it their, their all. They are doing the very best job they can. They're coming to the office. They're following up with prospects. They're, they're, they are not missing anything in the day-to-day operations of what's supposed to be doing. But for some reason, there's just a famine there. That's not their fault. God, for whatever reason, God has deemed that there be a famine there. So just remember that. And what does it mean to rebuke someone sharply? <laughs> has anyone here ever been rebuked sharply? Yeah. yeah, by my football coach. Not to sugarcoat the truth. <clears throat> if somebody is headed into blatant sin if somebody is about to walk off, it's kind of a watchman principle out of the Old Testament, if someone is about to, to, to make a decision or head in a direction and you know for a fact it is going to be destructive and damaging to them, what are you bound by the gospel to do? Warn them. If you don't, the scripture says their blood is on whose hands? Yours. Good gravy. Yours. So that's why rebuking someone sharply is okay if they're in danger. Notice in chapter 2 what Paul says about generational training. We talked about that. And then what does Paul mean in chapter 3, verse 11, when he says warped and sinful? Yeah, I I would probably say uh, Romans chapter 1 when he says depraved in mind. Just kind of without a... The the way I like to to describe this is maybe someone that has told so many lies, so many lies, and they have told so many different stories to so many different people that they cannot remember what the truth is anymore. It's somebody like that. Start believing their own lies. They start believing their own (laughs) lies. That's somebody that's warped. And those type of people, I mean, this 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 is one of the harshest teachings in Scripture. The reason why you can't have anything to do with them it's because you can't trust that what you tell them is going to be what? 
represented properly, right? So you go one-on-one and talking to somebody, then they take what you say and they turn it around and they accuse you of something you didn't do. You're sunk. Sunk, especially in this culture, right? Yeah. Because in this culture now, you're guilty until proven what? Innocent, if that ever happens. And we, so. and I think we also live in a culture that prizes uh, winning the argument. You know, I think that's kind of, if you have more knowledge, if you're the more knowledgeable one, and you say the argument that everyone goes, oh, to, you know, like, oh, he just demolished that person, you know, in that argument. He's awesome, you know, and it's like, but again, that's not what Christ has called us to. And so if you're <laughs> arguing with someone you could clearly know is not going to change their path, they're not going to change their way, you're also wasting not just your time, but God's time. <laughs> you know, it's like the, 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 the things he has called you to do. So... Yeah, so I think that's another reason why. Amen. All right, let's move to prayer now. It is 7.05, so it is time to bring this party to a close tonight.